Hello everybody, Dr. F. Scott Field here, and I'd like to introduce you to our newest sponsor. The NPTE Final Frontier is the review course that I wish was around when I took the board exam. For those of you who know my story, it took me a handful of times to pass that exam, and quite frankly, I really wish I had an an exam review course around, uh, just like the NPTE Final Frontier. Uh, Check out their website, npteff.com, and use the code HET at checkout for 10% off to all of our listeners and fans. Hello, and welcome to the Health Education Transformation Podcast. I'm one of your new co-hosts, Dr. Malin Stewart. I go by Lonnie. By way of brief introduction, I'm the Director of Clinical Education at Columbia University's Programs in Physical Therapy, and I've joined the ranks of a host of new HET co-hosts that include Dr. Don Brown at Northern Illinois University, Farley Schweigert at Arkansas State University, Dr. Lisa Van Hoos at Baylor University, a recently elected Catherine Worthingham Fellow of the American Physical Therapy Association. Congratulations from all of us to Lisa and Dr. Dawn Magnuson at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. We all join the intrepid Dr. F. Scott Field of the University of St. Augustine. And I make that introduction because you'll be hearing from a number of us throughout the year as we each invite our own guests onto the show to discuss transforming healthcare education. And we are in a transformative time. This is being the spring of 2022. So my first guest is a former student and present colleague, Dr. Iris Platt presently a public health specialist working at Beyond Basic PT, a well-known practice specializing in public health physical therapy in New York City. And she coordinated and instructed an elective course on health equity and social justice just recently. And I thought she would be my perfect first guest to discuss who is teaching whom and how graduate students can be involved in their own education and how it influences their early careers as physical therapists. Iris, welcome to the Health Education Transformation Podcast. (laughs) Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to have you. So Iris, we start with this question about telling us about your academic journey and how it has led you to where you are today. Can you start us with that? Yeah, happy to. So it's a bit of a winding journey, (laughs) but we'll start with as a youth, I was a dancer and competitive ballroom dancer, kind of that dancing with the stars type of stuff. And realized I couldn't go to college for ballroom dancing. So I ended up going, getting my undergraduate degree from Marymount Manhattan College in New York City, uh, Bachelor of Fine Arts in Modern Dance with a biology minor and pre-medical requisites. The biology minor kind of came from a science teacher, a bio teacher who inspired me and made me realize I actually really did like academics. (laughs) And I knew I was like, still not giving up on the dance career. So I was like, let me just get pre-medical requisites and see, have it in my back pocket. Thankfully I did that. (laughs) So then, um, you know, during that time while I was an undergrad, I ended up studying abroad in Israel, um, dancing at the Jerusalem Academy of Music and Dance. And that forced me to take five years in undergrad because I couldn't finish my BFA and do the pre-medical requisites within that four-year period. Mm-hmm. In that fifth year of undergrad, I ended up getting trained and certified in yoga as a yoga instructor. And then once I graduated, I became a full-time yoga instructor in New York City, and I danced professionally as well in project-based work. While I was doing that, I got very interested in this elusive mind-body connection and, um, 
ended up applying to get my master's in neuroscience at Columbia University's Teachers College. Yeah. And admittedly, not much education around that. So I was more just around educators. So I would, I really went down a different road. I, my thesis was on the effect of emotion regulation strategies on motor learning. And essentially I was exploring the cognitive neuroscience and motor learning in control literature and identifying ways that adaptive or maladaptive emotion regulation strategies can affect an individual's motivation and attention and the way that it can potentially limit mm. and their ability to learn motor movement. And then that kind of took me in the direction, okay, now what? <laughs> Graduate of the master's, there's no career with a neuroscience master's other than maybe a lab tech. So then I was like, okay, PT school. <laughs> and uh, ended up falling in love and did my fourth clinical in PT school at Beyond Basics and yeah. decided to stay when an opening was offered. And so that's kind of like the winding road that I've taken to get here. <laughs> that's very interesting. I see the seed and the inspiration from your biology teacher. And there are a lot of seeds here that we're going to kind of explore that have, have blossomed in certain directions, because while you were at Columbia, you were one of three leaders of a student-run elective course, which uh, I believe is unique in the United States. And I wonder if you could tell us a bit about what that was like and how that sort of influenced your early clinical career teaching. Yeah. So the course is called Physical Therapy Perspectives now. It was really instrumental in like giving me confidence to mm. know that I can do stuff <laughs> very broadly. <laughs> it, you know, I came into PT school with a master's already studying motor right. learning control, already having studied psychology and the role of psychology in motor learning. And I came with six plus years of yoga professional client face-to-face working with people and working with New Yorkers, which is even more intense. Right. Specific <laughs> type of person. Yes. Specific type of person. And I came into the PT curriculum and the didactic curriculum just wasn't hitting all the spots for me. And the course, the elective physical therapy perspectives basically was an open door and a platform for me to hear what I want to hear selfishly. Hmm. And sure. there, they're just, some of my questions just weren't being answered or even addressed. Very interesting. Yeah. Because, because our curricula, and I don't, I don't mean to in any way malign PT education in general, but it's very against what we do for treatment. It's very cookie cutter. You have your neuro courses, you have your ortho courses, you have you, some things cross over, but you have this set group of courses that you need to pass through to get to the next ones and then ultimately go to the clinic and get your degree. Yeah. And I really think that the, you know, just because you see a gap doesn't mean that there's something wrong. It just means that we can make it better mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. we can always make things better. There's always room for improvement. So I just don't, I'm just not an individual who like looks at something and wants to just like complain. I'm like, okay, like I see that I'm not getting this part. I'm going to want, I want to learn about this. So I'm going to go ahead and 
make sure that I learn about that thing. <laughs> That's right. And give us an example. Like one of the first, like I can think of one off the top of my head and maybe we're both thinking the same one. Yeah, well, one of the very first one that I did. So when I discovered perspe uh, physical therapy perspectives, I was too scared to do it alone. So I went <laughs> up to my classmates, Taylor Curran and Stephen Shui, and I was oh, like, this I did not know. Okay. Yeah, and I was like, you're doing this with me. <laughs> and I recruited them because <laughs> I was too terrified. I didn't believe that I could do it. I, I kind of, I had the idea, I had the dream, but I didn't know how to make it a reality. But step one, okay. recruit your friends. Recruit your friends. <laughs> Have your community. Yes. Okay. I like this. I never heard that before. This is very interesting. I love it. Yeah, I definitely, <laughs> if you ask them, they'll give me like, yep, I wasn't planning on doing it. And then... <laughs> <laughs> love um, that even more yeah and then it started out pretty selfish so before covid happened and we went online we had one in-person event and that was a religion and spirituality event where i was in an interdisciplinary class through columbia i don't remember exactly what and I, there was a woman there who was in pastoral care she was a rabbi in school to studying to be a rabbi and studying to she was working at Columbia New York Presbyterian. And during that course, she would just share these most, these beautiful stories. Hmm. And I ended up just asking her, Hey, do you want to come and speak to our class? <laughs> and she said, Hey, I can't speak to your class, but I know a rabbi who can. And then I ended up doing a cold call with that rabbi talking to her, having no idea what I was going to do. And then she put me in touch with a priest who then put me in touch with an imam. And I ended up just creating from scratch, just from this, I want to hear about how pastoral care supports physical therapy within yeah. the inpatient environment. And it turned into this religion and spirituality panel where I had to design questions. I had to organize and reserve the room I had to advertise. <laughs> look what look what happened you had this idea and they're like oh my gosh <laughs> there's so much to do there's so much to do and but it kind of fell into place yes. and I ended up I mean if you'll remember you're you helped me a lot I met with you and Dr. Bruff both individually to talk about what it what it's like to interview people to run a panel to speak public speak like that was something right. i never did before other than yoga of course but it just felt different right yes and there's, so that was kind of the selfish yeah there's a different purpose so you're you're coordinating a panel on something you don't know a whole lot about right that you're investigating and which is really the whole point of doing it and it got a huge response from the students it i ended did. up getting messages and emails from a lot of the classmates who went being like that was amazing. There's still things that I remember from that, something that the priest had said, like holding hope for the yes, patient. Yes, that's right. Holding hope for the patient. Yes. Hope for themselves. And it was really like um, a moment that solidified like, hey, I can do this. Like We might even explain that a little bit. Wasn't he talking about patients that felt like they didn't have hope? And he said, well, you know what I'll do? I'll hold that for you. Mm -hmm. Was that right? Yeah, like I'll have the hope for you while you you don't have the capacity to do it yourself. And that was just like chills. I mean, I'm feeling emotional right now just talking about it because it's really kind of powerful and I it really changes the human dynamic in healing. 
I mean, we learned a lot in that. And it, the, the seed of it was your, your uh, feeling that you wanted something a little bit more. And, he, and you, you noticed that in that connection with uh, originally that rabbinical student. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. have to say, and it's, it's not uncommon, even in acad- academics, if you, as when you show interest in somebody's work, very often it can blossom into other doors opening and other ideas happening. Yeah, exactly. And then from there, um, once we went online, I had a call. So we put on another event. Yeah, I'm going to put it in context just briefly because I think oh. I think that panel was in December of 2019. I'm mm-hmm. guessing before we left yeah. for winter break and then uh, we came back for a little bit. Yes. And then we were, then there was this, like, we're going to take a two week break in March of 2020 (laughs) to see, to quote unquote, see what happens. Oh my gosh. Looking back at that decision is like, wow, how naive were we? But you know, we did our best at that time. So everything went online. Everything went online and I had another amazing connection. I'm not not joking. Amanda Marie Cardinale a venture capitalist I, who studies telemedicine. And I actually knew her from, we, she was my only close, close friend that I made in my master's. We both studied neuroscience together. And we ended up putting on a, an event on telehealth for That's physical right. therapy. Right out of the bat. I mean, right that happened. When it happened. Yep. And Dr. Rami Saeed came on as the PT kind of perspective because he was running tele sessions or tele for the first time. And he was just trying to figure out how to do it. And the course, that was the moment. It was when we put on that elective and all the faculty showed up because it was so relevant to what was happening in the world. Yeah. Amanda is just so, so smart and did such a good job that they ended up turning that talk and hiring her to teach an elective and that turned into an elective yep an elective and that was where i was like oh this this isn't just selfish anymore i want to hear what i want to hear like this can change the curriculum this has legs yeah precisely like if you Uh, do a job (laughs) yeah I mean, we, we talk about learner-centered curriculums. And I think the, the problem is, is that the people that are talking about learner-centered curriculums are teachers or, or people that are studying ways to teach. And we talk about different ways to engage students by doing activities versus uh, being a sage on stage and talking to students, at students. And here, this was bottom up student-driven, student-organized, and it was just so pertinent for the time. And you continued with a series of those things. And so it spun off into, wait a minute, we need to get this person to teach the third-year students in their final didactic phase uh, as an elective, and they can choose to take that course if they want to. That's powerful. Yeah, that was where I really realized like, oh, this is, this can make a difference. Like I, we can choose these topics specifically in a in a way and execute it well enough that we can get the attention of the director and not that our director or the faculty aren't listening at all I think that our faculty like 
generally departments are listening to the students. Yes. But when you show, it's very different. When you demonstrate, exactly. it's, it's very different than just being like, hey, we want more of this. No, we want more of this and we're going to make sure that we get it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's a that's actually another way to look at that at that presentation like we're we're gonna do this because we we would like to have this <laughs> we want to hear about this yeah um and i think that attracted a lot of the faculty to what pt perspectives was doing because next was um uh a uh, a panel on co- a panel on covid treatment of recent grads that were in the hospital, of course, in, in one of the epicenters in the United States at New York Presbyterian. And then um, maybe most importantly, while so many things were happening this during this time, really a really rich time for social issues to really be considered at, at every level were, was the notion of social justice. Yeah, so right around the time that after George, George Floyd was murdered, we ended up meeting as a group, me telling Steven and you, mm-hmm. and we ended up asking like, what can we do? Right. Yeah. <laughs> How can we use this platform? Because students were reaching out to the faculty saying, we want this to be addressed. We want yes. to have conversations. And I do recognize that the you know, transition from a fully in-person curriculum to online was a lot on the faculty. And yeah. so, and as much as there's accountability and responsibility in that, it's also we can take account- accountability and responsibility too. And social justice in general doesn't lie in one person's hands. Mm-hmm. And so it was, we ended up within like, I think a two week span design, like creating another panel on health disparities, systemic racism, and social injustice. And we had one of the faculty members, Dr. Laurel Abrazizi, moderate the panel. That's right. Um, we, as the creators of the event, reached out to all the speakers and designed all the questions, wrote all the questions and did all like the legwork for it. But we invited Dr. Courtney Cogburn from the Columbia yes. School of Social Work faculty. We invited Topher Sanders, who was an investigative journalist for ProPublica. That's right. had Dr. Julius Johnson, who was the pres- president of Greater New York City Black Nurses Association. They were all so good. And that it was really uh, good. It was a really, really great talk. And we actually have it on our SoundCloud recorded. So if people want to hear it, I can send the link. That would be great. You know, we can put a link in the notes for this podcast to that. Yeah. And, and it was really then that once we put on that event and it was extremely successful based on the speakers that we chose and their willingness to, to participate and, and the questions that were asked and just the timeliness and the way that it responded right away and all the faculty had attended, everyone was there. And that, I think that was also important is that it wasn't just students. It was like everyone showed up. And from there, we had some, I had some students reach out to me after the event wanting to do more. And yeah. that was kind of the birth of the Student Social Justice Coalition. Yeah, that I, that who have been very active in, in fact, I'm, I'm just going to say here that I passed my uh, syllabus and some of my cases through that student committee to help me change the cases I was using in, in, in my course, physical therapy procedures. Uh, and I found that very helpful. I wouldn't have been able to do it myself. Yeah, it's really, the, 
so when we created the student social justice coalition it was like a pretty big group of students that started it and it's now become we we kind of split up into groups and we had we created a mission statement we created an entire kind of model on how we wanted to do things and each group had their own little things that they were going to do like we had monthly conversations where a student would pick a topic and it would be only for students versus like events that workshops that would include um, faculty in them. There were, um, there was something called better practices uh, that where students were getting together and looking at an article and then asking questions of how can we improve our practice as physical therapists and it's student led student participated. And I think that there's something really valuable to that because you're just seeing your peers take initiative and it inspires you to take initiative as well and just do a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm particularly proud of you and our students. Uh, I know for years, you know, uh, I think even during that uh, social justice panel, um, they remarked that, well, if you want to know what you need to do, just ask your students because they've been telling you for decades how to change things. Uh, and either you've been listening to them or you haven't been. And I know that that <clears throat> was an issue, particularly for the medical students for many years. And here were a group of stu- students generating exactly what they needed when the faculty may not have been able to do that better. It served as a model too for faculty to understand what the students were doing and what they needed. So it had this, it had this um, positive feedback loop to it because we were learning so much at the same time that the students were were learning but also telling us what we needed to learn yeah if that doesn't dovetail with the title of this uh particular episode i'm not sure what what else does but this may be i mean would you agree that this is maybe the power of student-led initiatives whether they are temporary or whether they have legs that they it this seems to me, to sort of have been an incubator during that time of uh, generating ideas that it wasn't it wasn't just brainstorming, it was uh, producing informative and, and serious events that we realized, oh, you know what, we could take this a, another step or in, to make our, our school better. Yeah, I think there's also just a misconception in education that just because you have a PhD, you have more to offer. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's no. <laughs> it's so true, though. I mean, this is, this is the whole, this is, this is my, my belief. Like, I know yoga teachers that are much better than some PTs. Yeah. yeah. And they have a 200-hour certification and a lot of self life experience and movement under understanding of movement that some physical therapists don't know. And that's in every profession, right? Yeah, like every yeah, profession sure. has its, it's real, like really good practitioners and not so good. And, and every field has it. Um, and I just, you know, the, the, physical therapist perspectives was an opportunity for me to say, Hey, I'm not an expert, but let me listen to the people who are. And through that, ask the question of how can I be better? How can I do better? How can I improve? 
and you generated a dialogue. And it's, it's dialogue based. It's dialogue, it's collaborative. It's, um, and, and that was really the goal of the elective that, so I was part of um, the group that kind of focused on the creation of the elective. So when we created the Student Social Justice Coalition, a lot of the events and the workshops and the stuff we were doing was based on student students doing work, extra work outside of their curriculum to have these conversations. Mm -hmm. um, and once the students potentially graduate and there aren't any students below yeah. who are interested, that disappears. Right. And so he said, what's, what's the way that we can actually make, like, if we're talking about systemic racism, yeah, right. about, we want to create changes, changes to the system. And so was and that the genesis of uh, the elective course? That was kind of the intention of the elective course to say, okay, we want something that's going to stick. Um, and when did you, when did you all start working on that? Was that prior to graduation after graduation? Prior to graduation. So it was me Nicole Gerbush, Jeffrey Yu, and Deanna Espinal. Um, mm -hmm. I kind of started writing the syllabus. Um, oh, and I just to be, I'm so sorry to cut you off, just to be yeah. clear, those were different years too, right? So Jeffrey Yu is a year behind you. He just graduated. They're, they're um, all, they all just graduated. Yay. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> so congratulations, guys. They're all, they're, they're all graduated, but um, they're a year behind me. Okay. So, so you were the elder states person in that. That group. Yeah, but it was it was a collaborative effort. It was yeah, just sure. it really helped me. Um, I kind of started and wrote. I had the vision for the mm -hmm. course, and they really helped me write the syllabus and meet with Dr. Abruzzisi. Um, I see a pattern here. We met yeah. with um, Dr. Krasinski and talked about the syllabus. Talked about what it would take. Um, it was basically PTP and. <laughs> in in just not like a an elective form it was just right. students coming together saying we want to change and um we ended up creating this course and dr krasinski we finished the syllabus and they we wanted to happen and dr krasinski was like well who's gonna teach it <laughs> <laughs> and we're like yours is the only grad <laughs> <laughs> not it so right. i ended up I ended up teaching it, but it wasn't like, again, it, it goes back to this idea that you don't have to be an expert to make a difference. And as long as you're willing to admit, like, I know, I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really what matters. And the way that the um, curriculum was designed, it was, um, it was intended to create an environment where students will grapple with the disproportionate healthcare barriers that underrepresented and underserved populations and communities face. And we, it's essentially like a, almost like a glorified journal club mm -hmm. where we had articles on different topics every week um, or every couple weeks. And we, the articles varied from narrative medicine to physical therapy specific to public health, including social and political pieces, economic pieces. So really looking at full picture and looking at like wealth inequality, looking at um, black America, uh, other like person of color that aren't black, like 
Asian, the Asian American community, um, the Indian community, um, Indian American community, the Native American community, um, looking at sexual orientation. And, and we kind of like gender, we, we really went, we tried to make it as broad and as inclusive with the little time <laughs> that we had. So um, I'm, I want to actually ask about that, just so if, if there are other students listening, uh, hopefully there will be. How did you incorporate the teaching time and um, into your, you know, your new schedule as a clinician? Um, and <laughs> was it online or was it in person? So the seminars were in person. So because my job was really amazing and let me adjust my schedule to nice. early um, to go in person because it was important to us that the discussions that we had on the articles were in person. My job was to show up and just make sure, facilitate the discussion. And actually, I only facilitated the first discussion and then each student took on the role as facilitator in the subsequent. Oh, nice. And that was intentional to have other students lead. Yeah, so they take on a role of a yes. leader in the course. How many students did you have? We, we had a small group. We had four students. That's great. Four is good. <laughs> but it was actually really nice because I was very nervous about it because I didn't want to come in as an expert. Again, like we created this course out of desire to want it to be an elective. We liked that it was near peer, but we also didn't want to pretend that I have an education or a extensive background in social justice and misrepresent what who I am. Right. Um, I also am like a white cis female. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have I'm a lot a white of cis male. Yeah. Right. You know, to come into that space and say, Oh, look at me. I'm the instructor. Like that was not the goal. Um, that wasn't even how I became the instructor. <laughs> There's also something very freeing. And you've said it a couple of times, like when you, when you know that you don't know something, it also, again, opens up that, that door to allow for people to discuss things like, okay, Iris isn't coming in as the expert, but she's going to facilitate an investigation into this. And we're going to pull some things out of it. Would you agree? Yeah, with that? I absolutely agree with that. And um, we also brought in guest speakers. So for each topic, we ended up just like physical therapy perspectives. We brought in people who are like pushing for social justice in these yeah. different individual topics, doing research in the area, working in healthcare, working in law, working in kind of different environments. So that was really important to us that we did have that expertise and those voices present, um, but they didn't necessarily need to be present in a dialogue because the purpose of dialogue is self-exploration and meeting, merging horizons. Um, I have my vision, I have my site, you have your site, and we find where they meet. That's great. I love that. Iris, thank you so much. What would you say, what do you think is your next step? Any Anything on the horizon? Oh, um, right now I'm just, my, I just finished my first year as a full-time wow. pelvic health specialist. Um, and lot. now technically adjunct faculty at... <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a place where I'm like, let me just continue what I'm doing. Um, yeah. be a little yep. bit, become a better clinician and hone my skills. Cause 
you know, I have my five-year plan. I mean, one of the things that that's great, you know, I have my five-year plan, I have my 10-year plan, but you never know. Like, even when I look back at my, from starting in undergrad and dance, like, how did I end up here? I don't know. <laughs> my, my own journey securitous, and it's just because I took advantage of certain opportunities that, you know, oh my gosh, I, I think my, my father would not believe that I'm an assistant professor at Columbia University. That just is beyond anything we have ever thought would, would happen. <laughs> yeah. or in education you know let's just say an assistant professor in education I don't care where where you're teaching uh it's uh it's still a lot of work yeah but I mean, it's gratifying I, <laughs> yeah right now I'm working on um boxing I'm getting into the ring and trying to fight so there's there are lots of different there goals. you go <laughs> nice so Iris thank you so much for being my first guest on the health education transformation podcast I, I deeply appreciate it this was a, a really interesting conversation if people want to find you and find what you're up to, uh, how can they best do that? And of course, we'll put some links to Beyond Basics and the SoundCloud in, uh, in this episode. Yeah, um, the best way to contact me is probably by email. Um, my email is info at irisplatt.com. <laughs> okay, and we'll, we will put that in the notes. That's wonderful. Yeah. I can yeah. remember that. You know, pretty simple. Um, and you can just contact me there if you have any questions. But ultimately, like, I'm, I'm really glad that you're interested in interviewing me. I, I'm happy to talk about this because if I can inspire other people to pursue their passions and their own interests and see how it helps others, like, I, you know, it doesn't, it stems from both this me wanting to hear what I want to hear. And then also knowing that if I want to hear it, then probably other people do too. And if, if students can take more agency in their own learning, I mean, that's, that's the best. I agree. And if you're passionate about learning something, um, it's contagious. People, people will follow. Iris, thank you so much and be well. <laughs>